Vix the Convince. Welcome to the Vix the Convince podcast. Here's your host, NewSpark founder, Paul Mosenson. Hey out there, it's uh, Paul Mosenson. Welcome to Fix to Convince Marketing Optimization. I'm the founder of NewSpark Consulting and NewSpark Marketing. And today I have a, uh, a wonderful guest, Tom Pasello. Hi, Tom. Hi, how you doing, Paul? Good, how are you? I am excellent this morning, thank you. Sure. Tom is well known, and I read his book, as the ROI guy. Return on investment, right? You got it. He is currently the chief evangelist for Mediafly and the founder of the Evolved Selling Institute. Prior to this, he founded value selling and marketing firm Alinean, merging with Mediafly two years ago, and was a managing VP for research firm Gartner. Mm-hmm. He's also a successful serial entrepreneur, author, and podcaster, like me. Absolutely. Trying to follow in your footsteps there, Paul. Vice versa. (laughs) So we're going to talk today about marketing and sales alignment and more specifically the concept of sales enablement. Sales enablement. You've probably heard that before. Maybe it's misunderstood. But for those who don't know, Tom, what exactly is the concept of sales enablement? Yeah, Paul, there's definitely been a lot of work trying to define sales enablement and different folks have different definitions for it. The way I like to think of it is sales enablement delivers the people, process, technology, and intelligence. And all of that is there to help sellers, one, better collaborate with prospects to diagnose and prescribe valuable solutions, and not just solutions that are valuable, but aimed at solving key challenges and delivering significant key business outcomes. And sales enablement is there to do another thing, number two, which is facilitate and streamline the buyer's purchase journey, which has gotten incredibly complex. A lot of stakeholders to convince, procurement, finance involved heavily. And so how do we help sellers become better diagnostic and prescribers and focus on business value outcomes? And then how do we help sellers to help buyers purchase better and facilitate that purchase journey and streamline it? And sales enablement is all about that as the outcome, the seller as the customer, and then ultimately the customer, the prospect as a customer as well to make their lives easier and more effective. Oh, I get it, I get it. So it's more than just a repository of content. Yeah, a lot of people, when they think of sales enablement, they think, okay, here's, here's a, a portal and it's there so I can access all of the content uh, as a seller that I need to do my job. Um, that definitely was the first phase of sales enablement. And it was centered a lot around the technology, which was essentially a content management repository and a portal. And it was a really good effort because before that phase, that first phase that occurred, Paul, a lot of people in sales were getting their content via email updates, right? So here's the latest PowerPoint deck to use. Here's the latest data sheet. And I know when I was a product marketer, that's how I used to get the word out to my sellers. And then there would be repositories, right? So I, as a product marketer, 
would stand up my content in my own product repository. And then I had three other product lines in the business and they would also stand up their content, but lo and behold, those were in separate repositories. And then marketing had their own portal that they had set up. And before you know it, there's um, multiple repositories, five or six within any given organization typically, and in bigger organizations, a lot more. So the first task of sales enablement was definitely content management. How do we get all of this great content into one location or at least have a portal that made it appear that it was one location and have one source for the truth, a single source of truth for the sellers. But now we've moved way beyond that. And I think that's a good thing. Now sales enablement is viewed not just as a content management repository, but as for the most innovative companies, the way that sales enablement um, works now is to empower digital selling in a new way and also to help with sales transformation. And the best are leveraging it, not just to arm the seller uh, back office with the learning they need or the content that they need to deliver to the prospect, but to actually reshape that last mile, that point of impact when the seller is meeting with the prospect. Now it's almost exclusively online, right? But it hopefully will move back to in-person. How do we reshape that engagement and change the experience of that engagement? And that's what modern sales enablement is moving towards and what it's all about. And Paul, let me give you an example of this. So yeah, we work sure. with a major CPG, consumer products, good company, and they're a worldwide beverage provider and they provide beer. And um, they wanted to move their sellers from talking about the product and putting up a, a kind of a PowerPoint presentation to them to instead, when they met with the manager of a store, or the owner of a chain, to reshape and grow their business and become consultants in helping the store owner, the chain owner, actually reshape their business. So instead of pitching products, it was more about how do we make the sellers be consultative? Well, the... Sales Enablement Group had a ton of data about purchase trends, benchmarks that would be invaluable for the sellers to use and present. And what they would do is the seller would let the Enablement Group know ahead of time, hey, I'm visiting the store. Can you crunch some numbers for me and give me the data that I need? And they were manually doing that. So what we did was we worked with them and we created an interactive tool instead that would leverage that data get the sellers to move beyond PowerPoints, get the burden off of the sales enablement group to custom do this for every seller and every store visit and create an interactive application that would automatically know when they were visiting a certain store, what the region was and what the store was or now manually online entering in, that in. But it would automatically pull up all of the purchase data, all of the trend data, all of the benchmarks, and it would help the seller to work with the prospect to understand those insights, diagnose the store's challenges, and make recommendations. And if you think about what that seller needs to do, it's the four Ps, right? It's recommend product mix, set better pricing, what are the right beverage promotions that need to be run, how do we optimize the placement of the solutions in the store? And it's all designed to help the store owner or the chain manager to drive more business. And so they immediately became consultants and it all leveraged this interactive application and the data. So once the diagnosis is complete and the prescriptions agreed upon, then the seller can access, you know, more of the traditional content to show them, well, here's, here's what I'm recommending. Here's the, the products we talked about. 
let me create a collection for you and leave that behind. And so they have an analysis report with all of the product literature, all in a collection that the buyer can then click on the link and view it after the meeting or share it with others within the organization to affect the change. Mm -hmm. So you can see how it's not just about a content report repository, it's actually about changing the entire seller engagement and experience. Got it, got it. You know, from a marketing perspective, it's similar and different of a term, uh, digital asset management, right? Mm -hmm. You've heard of that too, right? It's, yeah, it's, oh, absolutely. This is kind of... Yeah, we call it sales asset management in the sales enablement space. It's kind of the traditional way to look at it. And, and you certainly need that. That's still a foundation, having the right content at the right time in the right format for the seller and having that all managed in one place and having insights about that content, still a foundation of sales enablement, but that's kind of the bottom of the pyramid. And now what we want folks to do is think about, okay, now that you've got that problem solved, and if you do have that problem solved, now you have to think about what we're really there for. And that's to create a better experience. How do we help sellers diagnose, prescribe, and facilitate? And that doesn't come from just the sales asset management. It comes from changing the experience and reinventing it with these interactive applications, with data-driven applications. Right, right. You know, in marketing, we talk a lot about personalization mm -hmm. to make engagement more effective, we'll say. It's the same thing with sales. The, the more custom and personalized your presentations are, the more likely a prospect is going to pay attention and engage with you back. Exactly. And think about if you're able to bring data that they hadn't ever seen before and insights and benchmarks to bear, uh, not just personalizing the, the, you know, the industry information that you're showing, but having it be right down to their region, their store type, those kind of things, uh, I think are important. Right. So personalization is key. Right. So in the past, what had been the typical seller buyer presentation approach like PowerPoints? And, and then, so why is sales enablement, I mean, we already alluded to it, yeah. more, more powerful way to engage with prospects? Well, let, me, let me talk about decks because we still, you yeah. know, even some of the companies that we work with, um, when I go to visit them, um, even though they're enabled with sales asset management, the marketing groups are still producing these big linear presentation decks. And, you know, there are organizations I'll go to and I'll say, all right, let, let's see, what, what are your sellers using to sell with? And they'll, they'll, you know, we'll pull it up interactively in the system and, oh, lo and behold, there it is. There's the deck. And I look at the slide count on it and it's 150 slides big. Um, one of them, the, one of the largest I saw was 200 slides. Wow. Could you imagine being a seller and getting that as your deck and having to weed through that deck every single time? you're going in to make a presentation. And then can you think of the customer who's receiving a large deck? Because you know that even if the seller does work to customize that deck and distill it, that it's not gonna be that effective. 74% um, of buyers, they want sellers to pivot from presentations and meetings to instead discuss what the buyer wants to talk about. And if you've got this deck that's all pre-built, the seller has to guess at, what the buyer is interested in. It is certainly the buyer is not going to follow a script, right? So then you're stuck with this linear presentation that's hard to navigate through. The seller can't jump to where they want to go. 
the buyer is forced to sit through the presentation and some of the great statistics from marketing props. One in three admit to falling asleep during a PowerPoint presentation and think about trying to do that online, <laughs> you know, going through a linear deck online, you're going to lose your audience. They're going to be doing email. They're going to be doing um, yeah, for sure. the website, you know, wandering around. Uh, they're not going to pay attention. And one in five would rather go to the dentist than sit through another PowerPoint driven presentation from Zogby. So PowerPoint is definitely not the way to go. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't be using visuals and some PowerPoint slides to support your conversation? No, I, I think that there's still value in some of what you can produce and put into a PowerPoint. So what do I recommend as a best practice? And I've used this, it's break and think of your presentation, not in terms of 150 pages or 200 pages that are trying to tell the entire story end to end all in one deck. Instead, break up your presentation into what I like to call vignettes, little mini stories, and set up those mini stories about, you know, maybe about the product architecture could be one, maybe about the company could be another, but more importantly, create um, vignettes around use cases and challenges that the buyer would have. And then using the sales enablement platform that the sellers are using, arm them with the ability to immediately jump to and pull up these vignettes in real time, very, very quickly access them. And if they're broken up into vignettes, then and the vignettes are named properly and searchable properly, whatever the, the conversation goes, whatever challenges the buyer has, whatever industry they're in, you could put filtering in there so that you can get to the right industry, the right size, the right um, type of customer, and then more so the right challenges that they're having. And then weave that together using these vignettes into a story that then supports the conversation. And I think that's what it's all about. We have to think of the PowerPoint decks that as marketers we're producing, not as a replacement for the conversation. It's there to support the conversation, sure. not to place right. it like a crutch, mm -hmm. right? And dividing it into vignettes and then providing the ability for the seller to access those based on where the conversation goes and dynamically jump to it, I think is the key. And it gets you creating content differently too. If you're trying to create an end-to-end -end big deck all in one place, well, if you've got the sales asset management system, you don't need to do that. Um, you can create these little components, but they can still be all organized within the taxonomy and the content management system itself. And then it dynamic, the seller, just like a marketing asset management system, dynamically assembles the personalized components and customization. The sales asset management system can help the seller to do the same exact thing for that personalization that you spoke about. Mm -hmm. Cool. So if a company implements a sales enablement program Mm -hmm. and you do pitches and things like that. What's the best way to measure the effectiveness? Yeah, I think um, Forrester did a great job recently. And my friend and analyst, Mary Shea, um, launched these results just a couple of months ago. And what they did was they looked at companies that had implemented sales enablement in that modern way that I spoke about, more towards the definition that we mentioned instead of just the phase one. And then they compare those to companies that didn't have a mature sales enablement system. What they found was that there were two main areas of benefits. First is productivity, getting the sellers to be more effective and spending more time with customers. 
Uh, 28% less time was spent entering and coping with CRM data requirements. We all know sellers hate CRM systems, so how do we make them spend less time? 25% less time spent searching for the needed content. 23% less time spent customizing content. And by the way, we talked about those big decks. Sellers waste five hours for every customer meeting customizing content usually. And that's just way too much time. So, and then 23% less time working on low value repetitive tasks. So right. the right sales enablement system can automate a lot of this mundane data entry, data recording, entering your meeting, your meeting logs, everything else. It can automate that through AI and machine learning. And then it can help you to find the right content and then help to customize that content so you're not recreating content and that the content is automatically personalized and customized situationally for you. And then probably the bigger and more important benefit are productivity is good and we're all looking to do more with less nowadays, but how does it help us to grow? How does it help us to better hit quota goals uh, and achieve the growth benefits that we need? So there was a 24% reported reduction in ramp time for new reps. 19% uh, reduction in the time it takes to engage a new lead. So accelerating lead follow-up, which we know is important in marketing, right? To be Johnny on the spot For when sure. you show an interest. Yep. And then the bigger one, 18% increase in the average number of transactions per seller. So sellers are able to address more opportunities and get those opportunities to close. And that's Forrester's building the business case for modern sales enablement tool set. That's the study I'm referencing from. It's available on Forrester's site. Uh, I've got it, uh, these numbers in metrics that matter on the Evolve Selling, evolveselling.com website that you can also check out. Great, great. Okay, now we enter the biased portion of our program. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know there's plenty of tools out there and platforms, and I'll mention a couple that I know of, Seismic and Showpad. Mm -hmm. And there's a few more, including yours, Mediafly. How does one evaluate a solution if they decide to do this? And what are the typical costs, if you know them, and what makes Mediafly different? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, um, the, the analysts have uh, RFP guides that'll help you to uh, formulate what you could look for in a sales enablement solution. And then almost every vendor, including us at Mediafly, have um, RFP guides as well. So you could collect all of these RFP guides and put together kind of a master list of every feature and function that you could consider being part of a sales enablement platform. And that's a very traditional way to look at it. And I also think that it's a little bit fraught with issues and error. I think it can let you choose a solution that could be maybe too complex for your sellers maybe isn't aimed at what you ultimately need as, in, as most important for your organization. So I think there's some wisdom to be gained by doing that research and looking at these guides. But the best way that I found to evaluate a solution is develop very specific, first of all, define exactly who your customer is and exactly what you wanna help them to overcome challenge-wise. And then, very specific use cases. So if your audience is the seller and you want to, as we said for that CPG beer example, if you want to help them to reshape the engagement with data-driven analytics, that's going to be a very different requirement than maybe um, 
a marketer where you want to make sure you're giving them insights into um, how content is used and how it's consumed. So you want to have the roles of who you're supporting. You're going to want to document the challenge that you're trying to help them to overcome. And then you want to develop specific use cases for that. And then you can align specific features to those use cases. But I think what that'll do is it'll help you focus on what's most important because when you start to get into everything that these solutions can do and a big long RFP list, I think you can ultimately choose solutions that may not fully address the use cases that you've got or go overboard and you wind up overpaying or over provisioning for those. So very important, I think, to focus on the buyer or the user, uh, ultimately the uh, challenges they have the use cases and the outcomes that you're wanting to do. And what makes MediaFly different is that um, I think we focus a lot more on those specific use case applications and we have the ability to uh, implement extensions and interactive tools in the platform to solve specific challenges aimed at that point of impact, that last mile. We as a sales enablement company and as a platform are passionate about reshaping and transforming that buyer experience that the seller is ultimately delivering. And so that's what we focus on probably more than anything else. Yes, there's a sales asset management system and capabilities underneath there. There's an intelligence system as well. But if there's one thing that I think we do better than anyone else, it's providing these interactive applications and extensions to reshape that conversation and buyer engagement. Well, <clears throat> That's uh, pretty compelling. <laughs> but personalization and all the industry stats you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that many of these platforms are moderately priced, and uh, what's the penetration in, out there? And it doesn't seem like a lot of firms are using this maybe, and, and what mm -hmm. would be, uh, is it just because of education? Because to me, it sounds like a no-brainer. But why aren't more firms using it? Yeah, there's a lot of um, free solutions out there or lower price solutions that companies have put together to handle this, uh, like using SharePoint or using Google Drive and these multiple portals. There's still a lot of companies using email. And so we find that a lot of organizations start to get, uh, start to evaluate the different solutions that are out there and honestly get uh, confused and overwhelmed. So there's definitely this a little bit of fear and uncertainty about what I call overchoice. And so I think that's why it's really important to focus on a specific challenge you're trying to resolve and problems and that use case evaluation we spoke about to try to simplify the choices down and try to understand what the best choice is. For those who have already implemented sales enablement, there's also some uh, challenging metrics that are out there too, Paul. So it's, it's great that you brought it up. So we see a reluctance of some companies to move into moving away from those disparate portals and email management because of they think it's too big and hard of a problem to solve. And then when they start looking at solutions, they get confused with overchoice. We also find though that there is another challenge in that when companies do implement sales enablement solutions and platforms, according to Forrester, only 49% had a content management system with a 76% or better adoption rate. So what does that mean? That means even companies that have implemented this, when they roll it out, 
sellers sometimes are reluctant to change and adopt these new methods. And we found that it needs to be part of an overall transformation. And if you aim it at specific use cases and specific unique tools that the only way they can get is through the content management system, having those tools that reshape the buying situation, having a transformation that's aimed around the tools. By the way, the customer I talked about called the entire program building with beer. They reshaped their whole sales motion around the toolkit and the data and the insights and the interactive application. And they were able to get incredible adoption and incredible impact. So when you do implement this, you've got to make it part of a digital transformation in a sense, not just have a new place where sellers go to find content, but have it where they can get unique content and they can't get that content anywhere else. Yeah, for sure. And oh, this is uh, one quick question here. Mm -hmm. This can be used for any kind of industry, like you mentioned, even like contractors. I can just imagine people selling like kitchen cabinets and do you want to deface them? Do you want new one? You know, here's some examples and you can customize. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Yeah, I was just on the phone yesterday with uh, a customer from um, a rental company and they do rentals for um, different uh, PC applications for trade shows, and obviously they're having to pivot some of their business right now, but they have uh, 5,000 different SKUs of product, and how do you manage 5,000 SKUs with the Salesforce, with all the different options, and make sure that the seller can visualize with the customer exactly how every application is going to look, otherwise your trade show booth or your temporary installation or your remote working facility won't look or work or feel the way that you need it to. So it can definitely be used for many, many different applications. CPG uses it to um, manage big portfolios of products. Um, tech companies use it to be more consultative. And then, like I said, this, this kind of uh, supply company or rental company uses it to just manage a ton of content and SKUs and also customization of that for different clients. So for mm -hmm. a contractor, kitchen cabinet, something like that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, let's summarize just for the big picture here is big picture benefits and what is the next step if a firm wants to do it to their firm and add sales enablement. Um, we know it always improves marketing and sales alignment, especially when it comes Absolutely. to content and understanding your target audience. But what else? Yeah, one of the things that we didn't talk about are some more of the marketing benefits. So as a content right. marketer, which was kind of my foundation, I, I started off in product marketing. Um, you know, we produce a lot of content and we know that um, that content could be valuable. But is it? Uh, is it being valued by the sellers? Are customers getting it? Are they consuming it and sharing it within their organization? And that's insight in the past I didn't have. But with a modern sales enablement platform, you have all of that insight. You know exactly which content is having an impact or not, what's being used, what sellers are saying about it, uh, how users are using it and distributing it, the customers, the, the prospects. And then you know where maybe you should focus more of your time. If competitive guides are viewed as more valuable or solution guides are viewed as more valuable, then you could spend more time on that and maybe less time on that presentation deck 
which maybe isn't being used or isn't being used the right way. So you're immediately able to refine the marketing. And that's what you said in terms of that sales marketing alignment. A platform like this can really drive that because now as a marketer, I know what my sellers are asking for, what they're using. I know what the customers are asking for using. I know where I should be spending my money. And from the sales side, you've got an ability to provide feedback to the marketers, uh, both with direct usage and your actions, which to me is the best true feedback you could possibly deliver. Uh, as well as through comment fields and favorite favoriting and things like that. You know, it sounds like, you know, in the marketing side of things, especially in social media, there's a concept called content curation, mm -hmm. right? Which is, you know, finding articles and blogs and have your salespeople and marketing people share it, right? Mm -hmm. This is at, you know, the bottom line, this is a big part of it because if there's a custom presentation, your sales guys are going to go to marketing and say, we need some more juice in our presentation. <laughs> Go yep. find some industry articles, case studies, just to help um, contribute to the selling process that'll and, and the story that you're doing for presenting yep. on the. And it's these, a place to put right? it and organize it for the sellers, so you can create a slide that has that insight on it, and then see if it gets used, and then produce more of those, uh, so that you can pull you know, dynamically pull up those little vignettes during, um, customer engagement. So absolutely true. Yeah. Especially with technology where you can take a web page and make it into a PDF. It's a little mm -hmm. wonky, but you know, adding those, cleaning up those slides and adding them in, in the custom presentation is uh, pretty powerful. Absolutely. And then creating a library of those. So depending on who they're talking to, the situation, the challenge, they type that in, they get the three slides up that have those insights, and then they can immediately present those. And, and I think that's key, letting them pivot. And, and you as a marketer, getting more valuable content out there for them and knowing that it's getting used, which is essential because the statistics about content that's not used, uh, you know, 50%. It's pretty high. That means half of my effort as a content marketer or a product marketer are wasted because of lack of consumption and lack of use. And that's a lot of time I could have back and that's a lot better effort I could put forth to sales to deliver the stuff that they are using and that the, the prospects and the customers are wanting. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a whole nother story about content marketing. And, <laughs> exactly. you know, I mean, really everything is about in any convincing process, what we call fixed to convince, is really showcasing problem solution. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what a website's all about. That's what content's all about, white papers, webinars, etc. The only difference between a white paper and a case study is a white paper is problem solution. A case study is problem solution, your results, mm -hmm. really, when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... <laughs> And I think we can use, we could actually use the your results again with interactive tools to say, here's what, you know, you as a prospect could potentially achieve. Now it's an estimate, but, um, you know, there are good models out there and, and a lot that we've developed. And even, though, even if they're estimates, if they're, it's presented as for your industry, it shows mm -hmm. that you've done the research and it's, Again, it's personalization, which... Absolutely. And then the more data of their own that they could enter around their unique current cost and situation and maturity. And, you know, it's still going to have to use some research data and some estimates for the industry or the size mm -hmm. of the company or the location. But you can get pretty fine-tuned with those analyses. And then hopefully, if you're a services company or a, a recurring services company, you'll go back and measure against that. 
And that changes not only the pre-sales motion, but the post-sales motion, which again, Paul, is another whole um, probably podcast for us in the future. Yeah, we'll do that tomorrow. No. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> JK. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, we use Meetify ourselves and, you know, our content design team contribute to building these presentations and uh, it's wonderful. Thank so you. this is a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Tom, for joining me today. Thank you and so uh, much. And uh, I'd like to leave the audience with one thought of just, you know, when you think of that next step in your sales enablement process, think about how you can enable sellers to diagnose, prescribe, and facilitate. And if you're able to do that, you can move beyond this whole just having just another repository out there to actually reshaping the engagement. Yep. It's all about the buyer. It's all about okay. the buyer. Remember that. All right, Tom, thank you for joining me. Thanks this, so much, Paul and Honor. Sure. This is Paul Mosenson, Fix to Convince. Stay tuned for another podcast soon and have a great day. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights. Fix the Convince.